Good morning. Welcome to Another Words. I'm your host, Susan Scher. Glad to have you with us. My guest today, this one is, is very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Almost literally. We'll get to that in a second. Hi, Lisa. It's Lisa Lindahl. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Susan. Good morning. Lisa is the creator of the now ubiquitous sports bra. You know, I've heard people say, I, I've, I've heard women say, I must have met a man who invented bras. Well, no, it was a woman with boobs who invented bras. Because we know, uncomfortable as they may be, it's better to have them than not. And when you get to exercising, oh my gosh, I almost stopped running, seriously, because it hurts so much. So Lisa, well, first of all, let me spell her last name for you. It's L-I-N-D-A-H-L. Lisa, tell us a little about how the jog bra came to be. Who was it who recognized the need? Well, uh, it was me because I was... (laughs) running at the time, and um, I was, like you, quite uncomfortable. Then one day my sister called me up. She wanted to start running, and she said, what in heck do you do? What do you wear for a broad? And she meant it as a joke. She said, you know, why isn't there a jock strap for women? And we laughed uproariously. But when I hung up the phone, I thought, you know, that isn't so funny. What, what if would that look like? So I sat down and wrote down what such a thing would have to do. You know, no, nothing that would chase, you know, no hooks and eyes. And it would have, at the time I was so naive, I thought it would have to eliminate breast movement while we know that it's possible. And uh, no straps that would fall off the shoulders. And, you know, I just wrote it all down. But, Susan, here's my little secret. I don't sew. I actually flunked sewing in eighth grade. Seriously? I didn't know you could do that. Well, I did. I actually... But in that same class was my dear friend, Polly, and she aced sewing. And that summer that I had this idea, uh, 1977, of a bra for running, which was how I thought of it at the time, she was renting a room for me that summer uh, so that she could build the costumes for a Shakespeare festival. But, yeah, she took to sewing so well that she actually made it a career, didn't she? She did. She was, she was a, is a costume designer. So yeah. I went upstairs where she was hiding out in her room and said, Polly, help me make this thing. <laughs> And she rolled her eyes a lot. <laughs> I was very naive marketing, Susan. I just thought because I wanted it, I bet a lot of other women did. And, uh, well, you were right about that, but that's not marketing. That just means there is a market. Well, you know, if I had done marketing research, I never would have done it because the bra market, per se, had been, oh, dear, I'm going to say this, had been flat. Yeah, yeah, really. And it turns out that this concept of the sports bra did, in fact, increase bra sales because every woman had, every athletic woman had to have this in her drawer. It was different from her other bras. Eventually, every manufacturer of bras jumped on the bandwagon and 
came up with their version of a sports bra. There are two ways that bras are are constructed. We didn't know at the time that bras were designed by engineers. At, at the time, way back, um, when I went up to Polly and asked her to help me, the reason why she rolled her eyes was she said, Lisa, there's only one thing more difficult to design than a bra, and that's a shoe. And it's not just fit, although that's a big part of it. It's also support. It, it's very complicated, but I talked her into it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we spent that summer trying a lot of prototypes. And as, as you said, the, the first prototype that really worked was two jock straps that were cut in half and sewn back together again. The man's cup became, it cupped the breast, and the waistband became a rib band, and um, the straps went over the shoulders and crossed in back. You know, I think that whole uh, silhouette of the, what is now ubiquitous of that T-strap in the back of a bra, and then we modified that and made it a, that tea back. Were you the first ones to do it? I think we were. I think I I believe we were the first ones to put that into a bra. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, just for a second, let's talk about the one that came before yours. And I love this name, and I know where they got it from. But what were they thinking? Free swinging tennis bra. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, so wrong. (laughs) Well, and I believe that that was um, a tradition, what I refer to as a traditional bra that was just being marketed as a tennis bra because it was uh, white. (laughs) Oh. Back then, everyone had to wear white. To play tennis. Uh, we looked at it back then and couldn't see anything that was functionally unique about it. <laughs> so, I took a look at it. What did you think? I, I, I didn't understand it. I didn't see how it would help. It certainly wasn't yeah. what I, at the time, was looking for it, as a bra that would make my running uh, more comfortable. No. Mm-mm. And, you know, and I have to say, what we came up with for those that first year, the, the product, um, it certainly was not attractive. <laughs> it was functional. <laughs> I remember that. My first jog bra, I mean, as soon as I found out they existed, because... I would run with my arms across my chest. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I found out they existed, I ran right out and got one. And, you know, you say it's not lingerie, it's sporty, sports equipment, but it looked like underwear. Not lingerie, but underwear. Uh-huh. And really, they were not designed to be worn without something over them. Correct. And I remember one time I had just done a long run. Uh, I think it was like 13 miles or something, and it was really hot. And 
I just said, you know, I don't care who's around. It's hot. I'm taking my shirt off. And I did. And there were a couple of guys that happened to be there, and they just, they, they didn't stare, but they looked at like, well, that's, that's odd. She's in her underwear. And then they just kept going. But it was underwear. It, it was not, uh, th- there weren't colors. It didn't look too different from the jock bra. When we initially started, I called it the jock bra. But then we found that in the South and the Southeast, jock was not such a right. great word. So that's when I changed it to jog. Yeah, we forget that jock used to be a derogatory term. Right, right. So yeah. we couldn't use it, although it would have been a better name in that it wouldn't have been sports-specific. In the first year or so, it came in white and beige. Once we started introducing colors, then it was easier to take off one's T-shirt. And then, of course, we started doing different styles that were meant to be worn alone. And also, you know, Title IX had just come into effect. And I have heard from so many girls and young women who did not participate in school sports or extracurricular activities because they were uncomfortable and self-conscious about their breasts. Nobody talked about them back then either. No, that's absolutely true. And so with the advent of a sports bra, that really helped erase that barrier. And with the Title IX really making and helping schools have women's sports, it was such the right product at the right time. You know, this is interesting because I know how the jog bra changed my world, but what I wasn't really paying attention to was it changed the world. And, in fact, the Smithsonian recently made a statement. They have a collection of jog bra materials because they feel that that the sports bra was as important as Title IX in changing women and girls' attitudes towards sports and being athletic. Yeah, that really is. Now, how does that make you feel? Terrific. Well, yeah, I knew that. I was wondering if there was anything more. (laughs) The jog bra just transcends all cultures, ages, you know, all of that stuff. Well, and so you asked me how the what the Smithsonian did made me feel, and what it did was it made me recognize that that work truly did have a level of importance that I had not assigned it. It, it gave me great closure about that period of my life. So uh, I want to talk about the business part of it a little bit, a little bit more than we have. One thing... When you were looking for funding, you went to the um, Small Business Administration, which, by the way, any entrepreneur listening, they have so much helpful stuff for you. Definitely look into them. It's a federal oh, yeah. Uh, agency. Yeah. And you, were, you wanted to get funding, and the SBA said, well, hang on. Uh, you have to write a business plan because that's what banks go by. 
And nobody wants to write a business plan, and nobody thinks they can except, well, anyone from the SBA can do it in about an hour. Um, but you said that it wasn't so much that it was needed for getting a loan, although it was, but I have here a quote from you that really writing a business plan with financials was just an exercise and a test, an exercise to make us think through many aspects that, other, that we otherwise might not have, and a test of our intention, sincerity, and dedication to our proposal. I've heard that so many times that when, if you've got a really good business plan, you know your bit you do it for yourself even if nobody else needs to see it because it really shows you all the ins and outs of your business what you're doing it makes it very clear in your own mind or or it doesn't and you go oh uh oh <laughs> you realize that there's this whole area that you have not a clue about that you haven't thought about Mm-hmm. And you go, I better find out about this. <laughs> yep. I mean, really. Yeah. Because there are things like you talk about, you didn't know what you were, how much you were going to sell in year one, year two, year three. How do you guesstimate that? Well, there is a way. I don't know what it is. And you didn't either. <laughs> but the point is, this is part of what mentors are for, is helping you figure that out. Well, and and I have to really give props to the SBA. They they were fabulous and they give you this this business plan outline kind of thing to to fill out and they, you know, I would call them up and say, "Where are you? uh I, yeah, I guess okay. the word these days." And okay. um uh I didn't mean to interrupt you. That was kind of good. (laughs) I'm so articulate, right? (laughs) Oh, yes, I love it. (laughs) But they would help you out. They would definitely help out. And when it came to what am I going to sell, I remember they said, just make it up. And I said, (laughs) so I did. How much are you going to sell? Yeah, they told you to just make it up? Yeah. Okay. I just have to say this. I'm guessing the banks know that this happens. I'm guessing what they're looking for is how well you have thought everything out and how well you know your business. Yes. And also, again, the test of are you really going to go through Mm -hmm. and do this not particularly easy exercise. And I don't mean easy in the – I mean – and how enthralled are you with this idea? And the more, you, the more you dig into it, what happens is the more you dig into it and say, well, if we sell 100, then that means we're going to have to buy this much material. And then that means we're blah, blah, blah. And you get into it and into it and into it. And if you're really invested and, in, I use the word enthralled, in your business idea, then that engages you even more not less. You know, it's like, really? Is this what it would cost me to make them? Really? Oh, and how am I going to sell them? Mm. Well, that's interesting. Well, really? So, and I I think I told you, I referred to the financials I did in that plan as financial fairy tales. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, yes, you did say that. But the reality mm-hmm. is that once the real numbers started coming in, I mm-hmm. had a whole template for to change so I would know what it would really cost. And oh, okay. So if you had done your figures on selling uh, 5000 a year and you sold 10000 you would know how much your costs were going to be, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right down the line, right? Down the line. Yeah. So it was... It was brilliant. It, it was really brilliant. Any entrepreneurs listening to this, the business plan is a major undertaking, but it's a yeah. really important one. I, I wouldn't ever go into a business without doing a business plan. Yeah, and nobody would go into it with you without a business plan either. Now, before... You develop the sports bra. What were your aspirations? Because, of course, you didn't grow up thinking, I want to invent something that's going to change women in sports. Truth is, I was a seeker and still am. A sleeper? Seeker. S E E K. Oh, seeker. That makes much more sense. So you, you weren't sure what you wanted to do. Yeah, right. I was not. I, I liked been a writer since I can ever remember and so it was what is my purpose in life I was a kid who was always asking that the meaning of life and what is my purpose in life (laughs) you are a precocious child I was one of my first words was indubitably seriously (laughs) Seriously. really and I used it correctly you you actually knew what it meant oh my gosh Uh, that I have never heard that. We are just about out of time. What would you like to leave us? Oh, wait a minute. First of all, the name again, Lisa Lindahl, L-I-N-D-A-H-L. And you can also find her under Jog Bra, History of the Sports Bra, anything like that. You know, I know what I want to ask you. What are you doing now? Because you've sold the business. I'm, make, I'm, I'm making art, and um, I sit on a few boards, and I'm uh, just finishing a book. It's about the importance of true beauty, true eternal beauty, and why it's so important. Cahil Gibran, as he put it, uh, beauty is the light in the heart. What I believe, well, I actually know it to be true, is that eternal beauty is the um, uh, true beauty is, the raison d'etre, sorry about my bad French accent, <laughs> raison of the universe. It's always, you know, the universe is expanding and it's always reaching towards true beauty. That's what this book is about. So what is the book called? Well, its working title is The Way of True Beauty, How to Reclaim Beauty and Save the World. But I don't think that everyone quite gets my sense of humor, so... Well, it's a working title. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lisa, this has been so much fun. Thank you for being on my show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad. And you've been listening to Another Word. I'm your host, Susan Scher. You can find me and my editing and writing business at inotherwordsgroup.com. 
You can find my podcasts at Podbean. I am also on iTunes. Search for, in other words, Talk Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Join us again. Bye-bye. In other words.